You know, when uh, Brother Alex introduced Owen, he said in the middle of it something like, because Owen's an old man now. Remember that? I, did, I remember that. Then Owen walks up, and I look at him, and I think, he's not an old man. He's in the prime of his life. So that made me think that I'm a, a, an artifact from antiquity. I was pretty sure I was going to be one of the oldest people here. And I thought, okay, I got another old person here. Oh, and he's not old at all. <laughs> but I did just have knee replacement surgery, and that's why I can't walk up and down the stairs, and that's why I have to take some breaks sometimes. And if I'm walking kind of funny after I stand up from sitting a long time, that's the reason. You know, when I was in my 50s, which is almost a quarter of a century ago, I had this worry and concern. And the worry and concern was this. What's going to happen to the Asian American church in the future? Because at that point in time, based upon my, my uh, lack of networking perhaps, I didn't see a whole lot of Asian American leaders being groomed and brought forth. Uh, we had an internship program and, and God blessed it, but nowhere near enough people were being produced to really carry on the work of ministry. And then over the course of the last 25 years, I've been able to come to places like this and see so many wonderful Asian American leaders emerging in our midst that God is doing a wonderful work. And so I really thank you, all of you, for responding to God's call and for doing your part in Asian American ministries and in ministry in just in general. And, uh, you know, God has given us such tremendous resources like Christopher to lean on and to utilize, and, and God is just so great and good, and I'm just so thankful for that. Let me pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, just watch over what I'm going to share, and uh, just bless this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin by sharing with you my family. This is the clan. This is in 2019. It was my wife and I's 50th wedding anniversary. We called it Hawaii 5 <laughs> And uh, 21 of us went to uh, Waimanalo, Hawaii, uh, on Oahu. And we experienced uh, 10 days of vacation. It was a trip of a lifetime. So there's 21 of us. Two of them are foster children. So we took one picture with them. And we took one picture without them because we weren't sure they were going to be adopted yet. But I'm happy to report that they've been adopted by my youngest daughter. Now, it's been, it's been about three years. So this is a picture of our grandkids. We have 13 grandchildren. And if you were to compare pictures, you'll see the growth in the, in the children. So this was, uh, I think it was either end, beginning of this year or end of last year. But those are our grandkids. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this at the very outset is because whenever I show these pictures... I get comfortable with the message because I love being around family. And in some respects, they're with me in these pictures. Uh, those of you who are controlling this, thing, we're going to skip the next two uh, picture slides, okay? They have none of my family. That's why we're skipping them. All right. <laughs> now, today I've been asked to share uh, how Jesus' office of king impacts Christian leadership. And when they assigned it to me, I thought, oh, why didn't I get priesthood or why didn't I get a prophet? Because king was kind of hard for me to really ferret out because of the attributes we associate with kings today, earthly kings. Now, we already heard that Jesus had all these attributes, uh, used to, uh, was, he did. Uh, he, he did at the time he was walking on earth and he still does today. But he didn't display those attributes when he walked the face of the earth being fully human and fully man, not to the degree that we would expect the king to reveal it. Now, um, <clears throat> currently he is, right? He's sitting on the throne. He has all power. 
he has all authority. He is sovereign, and he rules from his throne. And he's going to judge from his throne. But not all of these attributes we would like to see in a Christian leader. Do we want a Christian leader who sits on a throne? Do we want a Christian leader uh, who is sovereign? Do we want to be Christi a Christian leader who has all power, all authority, who rules from a throne? Now, some of you may be thinking, but I have a pastor that way. All right? <laughs> but is it really supposed to be that way? I mean, how exactly, how exactly is the kingship of Jesus and that office applied to us as Christian leaders today? Now, we've seen megachurches where this has happened, and it really hasn't been a healthy situation. Christianity Today's podcast entitled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hills illustrates the point. Now, here's the question. Is there a way to emulate Jesus' office of king as a Christian leader? Is there some way we can be like Jesus in his office of king? You know, I think as Christian leaders, we should aspire not to be a king, but live according to the way of a king, as demonstrated by Jesus as he walked the face of this earth. Now, after the message you heard on the first day, uh, I should have entitled it The Posture of a King. Remember the piece? The Posture of a King. But I like the word way better because, and it was chosen specifically because my wife and I really like the Mandalorian. See the Mandalorian? And what's the creed of the Mandalorians? This is the way. I write devotions on a daily basis to my family and I text them. I've been doing it for like, since the beginning of the pandemic. I've got like 500 pages now with devotionals that I've, sent, I've texted to my family, mainly for the grandkids' sake. And every once in a while, I'll end the, I'll end the devotional by saying, this is the way. <laughs> you know, I'm telling about a gospel truth. You know, now, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life because I don't want to spread uh, heresy amongst my family. Right? But they understand what I'm saying. This is the way we're supposed to live our lives. And as a Christian leader, is there a way of a king? that we can emulate. So that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the aim of the message. We're going to take a look at Jesus when he was actually identified as king. Now, his disciples hoped he would be king, but who identified him as king? And it happened at the very end of his life here on earth. First of all, the way of a king while riding a donkey. The way of a king while riding a donkey. Here's a picture of Jesus riding a donkey. That was not taken in Jerusalem when Jesus rode this particular animal, all right? Matthew 21, we'll look at excerpts from Matthew 21. Verses 1 and 2 says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now here the beast of burden is identified, the one that Jesus was to ride. And this is one of the ones where, this is one of the times when he actually planned to fulfill a prophecy in a way, in a, in a, in a way or in a fashion. Matthew 21, 4 to 5 says this, This took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foe of a beast of burden. The fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus actually took part of it. Most of the prophecies he fulfilled, he didn't take part in. It, it happened to the providence and hand of God. So we ask ourselves the question, why the donkey? This is a review for most of you. Now, horses 
were the symbol of war, symbol of a conquering king. If he sent the disciples, go get me an animal to ride, they probably would have come back with a, with a horse, not a donkey. And I think that's the reason why he had to instruct them. A king riding into a city on a horse or a chariot meant he was a conqueror. He conquered that city. A king riding into a city on a donkey was a king who was humbled by defeat. And that was the act of humiliation, riding in on a donkey. So Jesus was not entering into Jerusalem as a conquering king of war, but as a humble, humiliated king of peace, or about to be humiliated king of peace. So the way of a king, as demonstrated by Jesus riding on a donkey, was all about humility. Humility means low in condition, rank or position, lowly, unpretentious, freedom from pride or arrogance, believing what God says about you over anyone else's opinion, including your own, considering others more important than yourself. And one of the men I know that's really a humble man is Ben Shin, Professor Ben Shin, Dr. Ben Shin. Ah, you know, he says he knows about 80% of the people who are here. That's incredible to me because he's such a good networker and supporter of those who do ministry. Well, he's a husband, a father of two. He's a professor at Talbot. He's a pastor of a church. And I sit with him on the board of trustees for Maranatha High School, which is his alma mater. Now, uh, he, we have been working on a statement of human sexuality for Maranatha. And he read uh, Christopher's book. He's read a ton of books. He's gone to conferences. He's heard a variety and a host of speakers. He's worked at Biola and, Marina, and um, Talbot on the statement of their human sexuality. I mean, he's pretty much our resident expert. At Maranatha, he worked first in our group. We had a subcommittee on this. And he opened it up. He wrote the statement, and he opened it up for people to critique. And then he went to the board. Same thing, same process. Then he went to the staff. Then he went to the teachers. And then he went to some of the students. Each time, there were people in the group who hadn't done anywhere near the study that Ben did, but they would critique his work and add things and ask him to subtract things. And you know, Ben listened to all that, and he graciously, and I was in some of those meetings, he graciously took those suggestions and the ones he thought that would be helpful, he included in the document. I think it's a man who's humble. Because I've been in other situations where somebody would work on something, and when somebody would critique it, they just get upset. But not Ben. I think we have a fine document because of that. It's probably going to be open to more rewrites, but great document. Written because, in part because Ben knows the way of a king, a way of humility. There'll be times in your ministry when you will not be the one who makes a critical decision. In other words, you won't be in control of the situation, which I'll get to in a little bit. In 1997, our church tithed with a portion of our church leaving to plant a new church. So how did the hive come about? There was books written on it, but this is the real reason why the hive came about. We had outgrown our facility. We bought a piece of property, and we built too small. All right, so we were trying to figure out what to do. I was away at a retreat. It was at Mount Hermon, week-long conference. And on Thursday morning... I went before the Lord, and I said, Lord, what are we going to do? We've tried to buy property. we tried all, and we're thinking about maybe satelliting. 
And that didn't sit right into my soul. I asked the Lord, what are we to do? And you know what the Lord said to me? Split the church. Now, in most circles, the word split is a dirty word, right? But that's the word he used. That's what I heard. I thought I heard from the Lord. Split the church. So I went back to church, and um, I didn't say, thus saith the Lord, we're supposed to split. <laughs> I said, you know, maybe what the answer to our dilemma is that we, we plant the church, taking a, a lot of, and we keep doing that, and thereby uh, relieving the pressures that were being made because of the numbers at our current site. It took about a year for people to come to the point where, yeah, that's not a bad idea. And then we took another year to start to, to formulate the plans to actually hive the church. We use the word hive rather than split because of all the co negative connotations. You know what people thought? They could ask me, is this a Japanese-Chinese thing? Because my associate was Chinese. People had a hard time believing that this was actually a good thing, positive thing that came from the Lord and that we weren't splitting because of something going on in the church, some sort of dissension and factiousness. But no, it was from the Lord. And so we went through everything, like asset allocation, planning, all the different things you would think about doing when you plant a church of the size that we thought the plant was going to be. So like if 30% of the people left, they got half the assets of the church. So things like that. Then came the moment when we're supposed to decide who's going to be the away pastor and who was going to be the stay pastor. So it was, a, it was a Thursday morning again. I remember just thinking it was a Thursday morning because that was my day off. <laughs> and I sat there at the dining room table and I asked the Lord, Lord, okay, who's supposed to be the way and who's supposed to be the stay? That's an immense responsibility that will be mine because I'm the senior pastor. And you know what the Lord said to me? Let your associate decide. And I said, what? I say that a lot to the Lord. What? Are you sure? I actually... I actually say that a lot to God. When I, I hear something I think that I don't, I don't agree with, I say, are you sure, Lord? Like, you know, like I'm, I need to question the Lord on this. And it, it was very clear. I shall let the associate, my associate choose. I kept thinking, but I'm the senior pastor. You know, and it's a matter of I need to take a subsidiary position to my associate in order for him to make this decision. And to be quite frank, I wasn't sure you'd make the right decision. All right. So this is one of the three times in 42 years of ministry that I did something. I flicked open the Bible and read a verse. <laughs> you always told, don't do that. I did that three times in 42 years. And you know what my eyes fell upon? Abraham and Lot. All right. Right there. Bottom right side of, the, of, the, of my Bible, it, the story of Abraham and Lot choosing the land and Abraham allowing Lot to choose. That doesn't mean that my associate is Lot and I am Abraham. <laughs> Let's get that clear right now. All right. But it does say you don't have to be the one who makes the choice for God's will to be done. And again, we'll get to this again a little bit later on in the message. And so that's what happened. And he chose, or he felt like he was supposed to stay and I was supposed to go with the church plant. I actually didn't want to do that because I didn't want to go through a building program again. To be quite frank, it was my flesh. But it turned out, because I'm pretty sure that if it went the other way around and I just depended on my flesh, I would have stayed and he would have left. But that wasn't God's will. And the way God's will got accomplished is by me basically humbling myself and not too voluntarily, 
and allowing my associate to make the choice. But isn't it amazing how God works? You don't always have to be in control for God's will to be done. So the way of a king may be riding on a donkey. The way of a king may also be while on trial. The way of a king while on trial. We're looking at John 18. Now Jesus, first of all, verified that he, was, he is king. In verse 37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And what did Jesus answer? You say correctly that I am a king. So Jesus proclaims at that moment that he is a king. So this is a moment in his earthly life when he was king. Or he just identified as being a king. Now note, he never defends himself against Pilate or the accusations of the people that Pilate was trying to adjudicate. And here's a principle for the way of a king, for Christian leadership. This is one of the things I learned very early in ministry and stuck. The way of a king principle of leadership. God is our vindication and our vengeance. God is our vindication and our vengeance. Psalm 26.1, vindication from the Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Psalm 43.1, vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. See, David teaches us through his Psalms that vindication comes from God. We don't need to vindicate ourselves. The word vindication means to free from allegation or blame, confirm, substantiate, to provide justification or defense for. We can explain ourselves to the best of our ability, but we don't always need to defend ourselves to the expense of other people. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Romans 12, 19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. In due time their foot, foot will slip, for they de- their day of disaster is near, and their doom is coming quickly. Vengeance is punishment inflicted or retribution exacted for an injury or wrong. My first few years of ministry at Evergreen were the toughest. I did a wedding ceremony. A couple men in January, they wanted to get married in February. I thought, but that's way too quick. So I said, how about July? That was my mistake. And after that, we instituted some rules about a couple having to know each other for at least a year. Right? And sitting through a council for a year. Well, the groom was the son of a prominent member, prominent members of the church who loved Jesus. They were very influential members in the church. They loved the Lord, no question about it. The marriage ended within a year. The parents blamed me for the divorce or the pending divorce. And unbeknownst to me, they started a campaign to oust me as senior pastor of Evergreen. I found out because when some of the choir members came to me, they sang in the choir and said, you know what they're saying about you? And I said, no, I don't want to know. That's between you and them. You know me, you know them, and we'll just let the Lord sort this thing out. I was trying to be as gracious as I could, and I knew this was going on. At summer, at summer camp, the same camp I went to later on, the Lord spoke to me. We were at that camp. There was about 20 or 30 evergreeners there. They called a meeting at, one of the, at the central lounge of the place. And I thought, oh, victory circle time. It was like Thursday night. The purpose of the meeting was for them to explain to the group that was there why I shouldn't be senior pastor. 
talk about uncomfortable. And I was there. My wife was there. You know, I just blindly went to a meeting because it was our church family. That was, and some, some of the people actually left the meeting, which is very not Japanese, un-Japanese. This couple did everything that they could to oust me. And again, they were very influential. But during the season, that season, they moved to another city and started attending a church there, but held dual membership. That's not a good idea. Dual membership, I don't think it's a good idea. They need, you need to be resident members. Right. Anyway, that was another mistake perhaps, but they were members of both churches. And they continued to compare me with their new pastor who had advanced degrees, who was a certified counselor, and who returned all his honoraria back to the church. That was a big point for them. It's like, oh, Corey's greedy, he keeps his honoraria. Right. All of us greedy pastors, yeah. I didn't know. I asked different pastors, do you give your honoraria back to the church? I said, no. But anyway, they, he was their ideal pastor. Kept comparing me to him. Right? Never met him. Now, I did make some mistakes in the course of doing the marriage and some other things, but I think I, I, I did all right. Maybe not perfect, but I did all right. Well, one of the things the Lord did for me, and this is purely the grace and mercy of God, is I didn't fight back. I never spoke poorly of this fact because I know I knew they loved Jesus and I also knew they loved their son. But it was hard. One Corley business meeting, the dad, the man, stood up and made a motion to have me ousted as senior pastor. At a court of his, we're Baptists, so it was a congregational meeting. And they were waiting for a second. And he just went on and on. And I was sitting in the front pew. And being the godly pastor that I was, man, I was steaming. <laughs> man, I was so mad because a lot of misinformation was being conveyed. And I was about to stand up and give him what for. And, so, and the Lord held me back. And I'll share in a bit what happened. But in terms of him, he went on and on so much that his wife yanked him down. And you know, sometimes you can talk so much that people no longer trust what you're saying. And that's exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, and I knew they were heartbroken over their son and, and a failed marriage. Years later, the couple was worshiping with us. And the husband, he looked really, he looked sad. I mean, I knew he was sitting like right in that area there. I saw him. After service, he came up to me and said, can I have a word with you? I said, sure. And we went to a private place, and he said he just was on a committee that had to fire their pastor for having an illicit relationship with a consulate and for embezzling from the church. I mean, which is the reason why I gave the honoraria back. Cause... <laughs> now, I know I was tempted in my flesh to say that. No wonder he gave his honorary back. He just took it right back. I shouldn't go there, okay? That's my flesh. A moment of flesh as a Christian leader. Okay, we all have them, right? But that became my vindication. You know, I really felt bad for him. And I prayed with him right there. 
because I really felt for him because he was in utter anguish. But in my mind, yeah, the Lord does vindicate in one way or another. And this is a sad way for it to happen. But there was a vindication. And I didn't have to do anything. We don't have to take matters into our hands. We allow the Lord to vindicate. And if there's vengeance to be had, he will exact it. So that's the way of a king. Well, maybe being on trial. Some of you have experienced what it means to be on trial. Many of you have been accused of things that may be partially right, but mainly wrong. And man, you want to fight back. Remember this principle of a king, the way of a king, that God is our vindication and God ultimately is our vengeance, if vengeance is necessary. Try to live that. Because if you don't and you fight, it's not going to be good for the kingdom. And it's not going to be good for you either. Not in the long run. Third way of a king. The way of a king while being crucified. The way of a king while being crucified. If a trial is bad, crucifixion is much worse. The torture and crucifixion. See, there's another time when Jesus was acknowledged as king. Matthew 27, verse 29 says, And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a, re and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. They were declaring him king of the Jews. And ironically, his enemies who were mocking him were actually speaking the truth. They just didn't know it. And neither did those who wanted him crucified. Verse 37 says, And above his head they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The Jewish leaders didn't want that, right? But the Romans wanted to put it up there. I think Pilate wanted it up there. That was the way he got back at the leaders. We're crucifying the king of the Jews. Interestingly enough, you know where his, where his earthly throne was? The cross. The, thorn, the, the throne of Jesus was actually the cross of Calvary. Because that's really where he began his rule, being crucified. You know, there's so much to share from Jesus' time on the cross. Consider this as a possibility. You know the seven last words of Jesus? Might those have been edicts from the king? Direction from the king while he was on his throne with a crown of thorns and a sign declaring king of the Jews? For instance, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Let's jump back to that quarterly business meeting. The man was up, and he was on a roll, man. He was, he was, really, he was really taking umbrage up at the things that I did or who I was. And so he was standing there and berating me publicly and sharing misinformation. And again, I was sitting in the front room, but I was mad. Right? And uh, this was the first time in 42 years of ministry that I plopped open the Bible on my lap. I was so, and I knew I shouldn't stand up. I just knew it and say something. But I, I, was, I was really close to standing up. And I thought, i got to get into the Word. I couldn't pray. My mind was just too filled with anger. But you're supposed to be, I'd be angry, but do not sin. So I opened up the Bible. And it, it fell open to Ephesians 
32. And that's what I read. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. That was the verse. And I thought right there and then, I need to forgive this man. And you know, there's, there's power in the Word of God. Right after I read that, I wasn't angry anymore. It's amazing. All that anger and vitriol that was in me left because I knew what Christ had done for me. And how could I do no less for this man and his family? So right there, that was amazing, like a 180-degree turnabout. I don't know if that, well, that was repentance or not, but it was a 180. I went from being angry, and I did not sin. In fact, I prayed for him. And that's when, and his, wife, that's when his wife actually yanked him down. The Bible also says in that chapter, be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your, on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. That was the devil's opportunity to disrupt our church. And it didn't happen. You know, a little bit later on, they went to a foreign country for missionary work, the couple. And they had some difficulties that only the senior pastor could resolve for them because of the country they were in. So I went to that country and spent a week there with them trying to resolve their issues so they could stay in that country. And I was able to do that without any remorse for doing it. I, didn't, I, didn't, I felt like this is what I was supposed to do as their shepherd. Even though they were non-resident members, I felt like you know, I needed to care for them because I had influence in that particular organization. So I let me tell you the truth, that felt good. You know that I could, have, I could do something for someone who came against That would be like Jesus doing something for Pilate or maybe the chief priest of them. Right. And actually he did because he died for them too. The way of a king. Here's an epilogue. One final note about the way of a king. There's one area where we can't use Jesus as an example because he was sinless. So we'll go to another king in the Bible, a king after God's own heart, David. Great king, right? Chosen by God, a man after God's own heart, which it says in 1 Samuel 13, 14. But he made a whole bunch of mistakes, some of them pure sin. You know, we are all leaders in our respective communities. We're all gifted and called by God, we're all, but we're all sinners, and we will make mistakes, sometimes sinning. None of us are perfect. We are all just like David, a king after God's own heart. Let's be like David in another way, too. Let's say we stumble and fall in some area, make a mistake, we sin, we're disobedient to God. You know, the book of Psalms is broken into generally five books. Book four runs from Psalm 90 to Psalm 100. That's the general, 106, that's the general classification, the shortest of the five. Book four recounts the failures of David as king. So think for a moment about the things you think are failures in your ministry as a leader. Got one, got two, got three, got a dozen. Things that we feel like, man, we failed at. We made mistakes. We may have even sinned in a particular area. You know what the focus of the book is? 
It's not on David's failures. What's the focus of the books, of those, that portion of Psalms? It's the faithfulness of God. David's failure up against the faithfulness of God through it all. And that's what we have to look forward to. Every place where we feel like we have failed, even when we have sinned, God can take it and use it for good. After we hived, we looked for property. Oh, it's hard to find property. We looked everywhere. God, actually, God gave us an intersection where to look, and that's where we looked. And it was hard anything there. We, but we ended up buying a park called Maple Leaf Park, five acres. But the land was kind of, the terrain was kind of funny, all right? And there was one area that needed to be shored up. Long story short, didn't work out. We had a fundraiser. We said, this is the place where God wants us to be. And then it didn't work out. We even went into mediation with our architects over something. And we prevailed, but nobody really wins. So now we, so then we sold the property. I thought, you know, this could really be hard for us leaders of the church. But we'd always been teaching this to the church family. If we goof up, ever, if I goof up, as long as it's not sin, if I goof up, God will take that particular mistake and he'll always turn into something good. In fact, even a sin, he'll always turn into... Look, what did, what did Joseph say to his brothers? You intended it for what? Evil. But God intended it for good. I, I believe that with all my heart. So we sold the property. Bought it for $1.2 million, sold it for $2.5. <laughs> but what's an extra $1.5 million if you don't have property? So we had, a, we had a property fund for over $7 million now. We did a pretty good job fundraising for this five-acre piece of land. All right. Well, as the Lord would have it, we, we found the piece of property, 17 acres. All right. But it required a one-month escrow, a turnaround in one month, because otherwise we wouldn't be able to buy the property for a whole host of reasons. One-month escrow, which means we have to come up with a down payment in a month, and we had it because of the mistake of Maple Leaf Park. <laughs> without, that, without Maple Leaf Park, we would not have had the down payment necessary to buy the piece of property that Evergreen SGV now sits on. That's God taking a mistake, a failure perhaps, and turning into something good because of his faithfulness. David made, King David made mistake after mistake after mistake. And the lament you see in the Psalms, in those books of the Psalms, one particular book, is God's faithfulness through it all. No matter what mistake you make, even no matter what sin you commit, you know, the way of a king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, is he will take that mistake, he will even take sin, and he will turn it into something good. I mean, that's what Christopher's testimony is all about. We worship a mighty and marvelous God. Amen. And he wants us to, to, in, to embrace the way of a king, King Jesus, both when he walked the face of the earth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have been able to gather here it has just been a glorious two days or day and a half. Father, we, are, we have been filled with your, by your spirit, with the word, 
and by such wonderful teaching and exhortation. It's been incredible, Lord. Thank you for the leadership who has seen the vision of this conference and then put it together with wisdom and with the sermon and with the leading of your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for all those who are here in the sanctuary that you will help each one of us be the leader you intend us to be. And Father, there are some who are here that really don't feel like they're an adequate leader. And thank you for the way that, thank you that they feel that way, Father, because I pray in Jesus' name that as a result, they will trust you more and more. And Father, with you leading the way, with your spirit empowering them, with them being Christ-centered, and the sky's the limit. People choose and try to climb mountains. Lord, you can move mountains. And for this we give you thanks. Nothing is too great for you. Thank you. Bless us now as we go forth and we fellowship over dinner. And Lord, we look forward to what you have in store for us tomorrow. We pray these things in the precious and merciful name of King Jesus. Amen.